April 28, 1985 was the last day anyone would hear from Kim Morgan, a 24-year-old photography student at the Brooks Institute in Santa Barbara, California. She had received a response to the classifieds ad she had posted stating that she would babysit, garden, or perform housekeeping duties in exchange for room and board. She told her roommate she was heading out to meet the man and his children at the county lumber store in Santa Barbara. After she had still not returned the following day, she was reported missing. Her roommate and landlord found Morgan's 1962 white Chevy Corvair unlocked and abandoned at the lumber store's parking lot where she had been scheduled to meet the caller. Then, four days later, along the side of East Camino Cielo Road in the Los Padres National Forest north of Santa Barbara, California, her partial remains were found. Her thighs had been placed together in a culvert. Her torso, right arm, and lower left leg have never been found. It has been more than 35 years since her brutal murder, and this case remains unsolved. Let's break down the details. Secrets of the Trees presents The Unsolved Murder of Kim Morgan Web Sleuths referenced an article that I had to use the Wayback Machine to pull because for whatever reason, the original link no longer worked. This article stated that Kim was actually almost out the door Sunday morning when her phone rang. The caller, a male, stated that he lived in Montecito and needed help with his children. In exchange, he offered her a room in what sounded like a very lovely home in Montecito. I read a few theories that this call may have actually enticed Kim, as the Brooks Institute is located in Montecito and therefore would have been extremely convenient for her. He told her that if they could meet right away in the Mesa, he would take her to his mother-in-law's to meet the children. The man that was described meeting Kim was a short, dark-skinned man, possibly Italian, Indian, or Portuguese. He appeared to be in his early 30s and was about 5'4", but wore elevator shoes that brought his height up to 5'6". Kim was almost 6 feet tall and was obviously taller than him, according to witnesses. She shook his hand and then proceeded to get into his vehicle, either a 1979 Buick Century or possibly an 80s Chevy Caprice or Impala with a blue body and white top. Patrons at the lumber store claimed the license plate was gold with dark blue letters. A quick Google search showed some of the states that have these features include Virginia, Nebraska, New York, and West Virginia. If the license plate letters or numbers were actually black, that adds a lot more states into the mix. Investigators were unsure how this man fit into the situation, whether he was the killer, the caller, or someone else involved. Whatever they discussed in that brief time during their meeting was enough to assure him and have her get into his car. This case becomes even more tragic when you learn that Kim had experienced a horrifying event just a few years earlier, where a man kidnapped her from a Los Angeles club, raped her, beat her until she was unrecognizable, and left her for dead. In fact, she was worked over so badly, the hospital initially had listed her as a Jane Doe. It was only her mother who was able to recognize her from a single freckle between her fingers. It took him Four months of being in the hospital through constant therapy, learning to walk, talk, and even feed herself. She had memory loss. It was years before she was able to live somewhat of a normal life. This is an added factor of what makes this case puzzling. Kim surely would live on high alert after such a traumatic attack happened, yet she felt comfortable enough to get into his car. I can't imagine what he would have said to assuage any reservations she may have had. Kim was described as a dedicated student, an active pursuer of her dreams. She played several instruments, enjoyed going out with her friends, and loved her family deeply, visiting them often even though her family resided in a different part of California. Her dream in life was to be a fashion photographer and focused on photographing portraits of people. 
She would take photos of her older sister, who was a model. Kim had attended the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York and worked for famed photographer Urban Penn as an assistant. This was a woman who knew what she wanted to accomplish. A shorter commute and ease of access to her schooling might have had her really excited to consider this proposal. Was it the possibility of living so close to her school that made her cast aside any doubts? Did this man just seem kind, approachable, unbecoming of such horrors? Did she get into the car and was instantly injected with something that put her out? On May 2nd, 1985, a man known as Hector the Can Collector was looking for some aluminum cans when he came across an arm. I came across a comment that said that Hector was undocumented and was initially hesitant to report the crime due to his immigration status. The comment further stated that after he was assured safety, he revealed what he found to police and then was deported after. I found a newspaper clipping which indeed confirmed his immigration status and his hesitation about reporting what happened, however, I'm not really sure what became of him. As detectives began combing the site and the surrounding areas, her head was found further down the steep embankment, along with her leg, which was found near a tree. No blood was found at the scene, signifying that she had been killed and dismembered at another location. Her body parts had been drained and cleaned. None of her extremities revealed any kind of ligature marks to indicate that she had been tied. Her body also showed early signs of putrefaction, leading investigators to surmise her body had either been kept refrigerated or she was held captive for three days before she was killed. To make matters worse, this level of meticulousness lead investigators to believe that he had a work area with enough privacy, tools, and prior experience to pull this off without setting alarms. Detectives posit that the murder was planned due to the intricate cuts found on her dismembered limbs. The pathologist shared that they believed a mutilation like this took between 10 and 18 hours. Nearly a thousand tips were sent in and followed up on. Nothing panned out. This year, Kim would have been 61. She could have been a famous fashion photographer. She could have worked for major publications photographing the latest trends. You probably would have seen her work while standing in line at the grocery store waiting to check out, flipping through a magazine. Regrettably, an unknown murderer took her life and robbed her of her future. Something that haunts me of this case was what her older sister, Julie Morgan, mentioned. They had fought the last time they spoke. It was a regular sibling spat. Kim wanted her sister to leave the club and go home. Julie didn't want to, but Kim made her. Upon arriving at home, they argued. They didn't make up, and then Kim was murdered shortly after. Julie knows that it was a simple disagreement, one that didn't mean anything. But the fact that their argument was the last time that she spoke to her sister still haunts her. I have a sister, and I cannot imagine what Julie has been feeling all these years. My heart breaks for her just thinking about this. I strongly believe that whoever this person is has done this before. Investigators believe he knew the area because of the location where he placed Kim's remains. Remains that were only found because someone had been combing the area in the search of cans. Now, I believe he may have known the area. Would it be his primary hunting location? No. Why haven't other remains that have been dismembered in the same fashion been found? Most of the sources I've included are all older as there have been no movements in this case. The news press article that dates back to sometime in 2002-2003 stated that detectives tried to compare this crime to other dismemberment crimes using an FBI database and none matched the killer's methods. Now, could it be possible he was away on a business trip or visiting the area? If we believe he was experienced in mutilation through his career, could he been a visiting medical professional at a nearby hospital or even a traveling veterinarian? 
Traveling veterinarians don't only provide care for underserved areas, he could have experience with exotic animals or have experience with specialized surgery. The Santa Barbara Zoo was opened in 1963, well before Kim Spurter. Could he have been disposing of remains through the zoo? Is the thought of this too extreme? Why is it extreme, considering the fashion in which Kim was murdered? Could he have been a guest lecturer or a temporary professor at a nearby college or university? That would explain why he may have known the area, yet only one set of remains were found. He could study the area long enough to determine where he could leave the remains, and then disappear back to where he originally prowled, and where his setup may be, which would have afforded him the opportunity to dispose of remains on his land or in an area where he would know categorically that it would not be frequented. Perhaps where he was temporarily residing would have drawn attention. Yet, why were her right arm, torso, and lower leg never found? Could he have started the disposal process and realized that he would not have enough area or space? This theory of the killer being an out-of-towner is given credence by the fact that witnesses saw an out-of-state license plate. Did authorities contact nearby colleges and universities to see if someone was lecturing as a guest from out of town? Did anyone with a similar skill set take a job off or elsewhere? Was there a medical convention in town? Yes, these would have been all time-consuming requests. Or perhaps investigators did follow up on similar theories to no fruition, it was just not made public. This is all speculation, and it's intended to make you think. There can be infinite theories as to why this happened and why she was placed where she was. While brutal, it's important that we keep her memory and case alive so that one day, Kim and her family and her sister, Julie, get the justice that she rightfully deserves. Anyone with information concerning this case should contact the FBI Los Angeles field office at 310-477-6565 or the Santa Barbara Police Department at 805-897-2300.